welcome back to Holding Space Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Cassidy, and in today's episode, I'm sharing my conversation with my good friend, Lindsay Shipley, founder of Lactation Link. Lindsay is an RN, a childbirth educator, and an IBCLC certified lactation coach. In today's episode, not only will Lindsay share with you her passion for supporting new moms in their breastfeeding journey, but she shares a little bit about her own journey in postpartum. Lindsay is a cancer survivor and thriver. And in this episode, Lindsay shares how pain and joy have danced for her in her postpartum experiences and the ways in which she has allowed herself to experience joy even in the midst of pain. I'm so excited to share her and her story with all of you. I'm deeply honored that she was willing to come on the podcast and share this story. So let's get to the conversation. listening to Holding Space Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Cassidy Freitas. I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist, mom to three, and I support mamas just like you who want a supported, loving, and rested postpartum so that you can flourish in that first year with baby. In this podcast, I'm sharing my conversations with perinatal experts from around the world and with parents who've been through it. While I hope that this podcast is supportive to you, it is not a substitute for seeking help from a licensed health provider. I'm so glad you're here. Let's dive in. Hi, Lindsay. Thank you so much for taking the time to have this conversation with me today. I am so excited. I just topped the baby off, and (laughs) so we've got at least a good, (laughs) some good time. We're golden for the next Cassidy. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much for having me. I've been looking forward to this discussion. Um, I just, it's so crazy how we can connect with people on a social media platform, and then we can kind of come these, you know, gram friends, right? Um, But it's crazy how you can feel so connected to people, and even though you're teaching different disciplines or different kind of niches or specialties, feeling that there's overlap in the approach. And I definitely feel that way about you and what you do. Oh, 100%. Absolutely. I love everything that we've done together and collaborated on. So I'm just so excited to get a chance to have you on the podcast and to collaborate and connect in this way. So for anyone who's listening, Lindsay, can you first share a little bit of your context and your background and the work you do and what inspired you to do the work that you do? Sure, sure. So my name is Lindsay Shipley. I'm a registered nurse with a background in labor and delivery. I'm also an international board certified lactation consultant. Most importantly, I'm a mama of three. I've got an eight-year-old boy, seven-year-old girl, and then I've got a nine-month-old baby boy. Um, I'm also a cancer survivor and thriver, so I've got a little bit of mama warrior in me, and I know that we're going to talk about that today. Um, And yeah, I just, I've had kind of unique journeys um, with you know, just being a young labor and delivery nurse and observing a lot, you know, as I was a part of those magical moments for families. And I feel so um, lucky to have been able to sit sit at the bedside for hundreds um, of births, you know, and that's, those are magical moments. And um, I got to observe a lot. I got to observe the emotions. I got to observe um, the approach. Um, And, you know, I I actually recognized quite a bit and I recognized a failure in just our communities and society as a whole to be able to provide 
research-based education to women on breastfeeding and also this like before they got to the hospital or birthing center i noticed that it was that was super important that they were had a foundation knowledge before they got there and then i felt like there was lacking support and there's still lacking support today um but hopefully we're starting to chip away at that um for mothers in that postpartum time specifically with breastfeeding but also just as you know um you know, who's mothering the mother, right? In that yeah. fourth trimester, in that postpartum time, it's so, it's so interesting how we have these really frequent checks, you know, and appointments, you know, leading up to the birth. Then we have this monumentous milestone happen. And it's kind of like a pat on the back and a boot out the door and we'll see it in six to eight weeks. Right. So I noticed that gap and I didn't set out to, to be the founder of a company called Lactation Link, but I, I went kind of searching for a reliable resource I could point patients to, and I didn't find a whole lot. And, and what I did find was super outdated, not uh, relevant for the modern parent. And after seeing so many moms feel disappointed or frustrated with breastfeeding, I didn't like seeing that because I wanted it to be a magical and joyful extension of their birth. Um, and I, and I wanted them to do it on their own terms because I knew it was so individual. You know, I know that it's not a one size fits all and that's definitely not our approach. Uh, our approach is offering research-based options so that women can choose what's best for them and their families, you know? And so, um, after recognizing that I knew there was something I had to do and I, then I had my three experiences, which I'm sure we'll dive into a little bit. Um, and I ended up, you know, starting Lactation Link and started with having 10 women in my living room uh, with, you know, a very <laughs> modest PowerPoint and a, a homemade sign that I made the night before that ended up falling down halfway through my presentation um, <laughs> to, um, you know, I had little grab bag items for them. And I had sewn, you know, burp cloths the night before at 1 a.m. on my own sewing machine. And, you know, just so super humble beginnings, but yeah. also just this, the exact same passion was there um, that's still there today. And we, we've, we've built a community and things maybe look a lot prettier <laughs> now, but um, really that same passion and that same drive for helping mama and her experience, guiding her, taking her by the hand and putting her in the driver's seat. We're just the trusted guide in the back seat. Mama is the hero of her own journey. She just needs the right tools to get there. Mm. Um, and so that's a little bit about my background. Um, I teach online breastfeeding classes. You can find me over at, on Instagram at lactationlink or on lactationlink.com. And you can dive right into the courses in our private community. And once you do that, you have access forever. And we're always adding um, awesome, updated, amazing content with people like you inside there. So um, mm -hmm. it's a really great place to be. And you're going to feel really transformed when you come into our community. You'll go from feeling very panicked, fearful, um, and just the anxiety of the unknown. And once you walk through those doors of kind of the members only area of access to the tutorials and also just that army of mamas who have your back, you're just going to feel so much more confident, calm, and you're going to have clarity towards your experience. And that's our overall goal. I can't even tell you how much I wish that I had had your courses and your resources for my first. I don't even mm -hmm. know if they were around for my first because she's yeah. How old is she now? now. Okay. She's nine. Yeah. 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 So I wish I wish I had it because you know I took a I think I like 
I took a birth class, and I think they covered breastfeeding a little bit in there. But it was basically like, here are the different ways you can hold your baby while you feed. And like mm-hmm. the rest of the messaging was kind of like, breastfeeding is natural. And so like, sure. you know, it's just going to happen because yeah. it's quote unquote natural. Yeah. And then I had her and there was just so much because now I've taken your courses. I took your course for, for our third, even though it's my yeah. third time around. I was yeah. still... I needed those reminders. I needed mm-hmm. to kind of um, recalibrate in terms of like understanding like about the different, like I had more knowledge going into my third for sure. Like mm-hmm. I know that I'm an mm-hmm. overproducer and I'm susceptible to plugged milk ducts and mm-hmm. mastitis. And like, I know what thrush is now because I had it twice and yep. I yep. knew these things, but I needed the reminders of how to, like what what the best way was sure, to sure. create the most like the best experience, the most successful yeah. experience for both of us, right? To kind and of help our breastfeeding journey this time around. But with the first one, I had no idea that mm-hmm. like what plugged milk ducts were. Like sure. it took me so long to get treated for that, um, which eventually turned into really, really bad mastitis because I just didn't know. I just kept pumping thinking like that's that was going to help because it was so painful mm-hmm. and that just <laughs> made it worse at that time because yeah. I was – you know, stimulating more production. Sure. And there's, there's so many things that can show up that can be challenging. Like you said, it can, every, every journey is so unique, Yeah. but I think that if we can have that support to feel empowered and also to recognize that, okay, like, yeah, breast milk is amazing. And like, our bodies are incredible how we can start to produce milk once the baby is born, but a lot of it isn't going to necessarily feel like it's coming naturally, right? Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. It's something we've never done before and we're doing it with a little baby that has, yes, some natural instincts, but also like no life experience, right? Like you're mm-hmm. learning this together and yeah, gosh, it's it was so hard in the beginning and I wish that I wish that I had more knowledge going in to feel empowered, mm-hmm. which I know that your courses offer. But I also just wish that somebody had kind of taken my hand and like said, hey, well, come into this community with us, yeah. right? So yeah. Along the way, along the journey, you can keep sure. getting support, whatever, sure. wherever that journey ends up taking you, you know? Yeah. And I love how you just uh, referenced your newborn that have as having no life experience. Like, yeah, their resume is nil, right? When they come out, like it's just blank. Um, <laughs> and, um, you know, I would agree with you that breastfeeding is natural, but what I observed is that it doesn't always come naturally and right. it's a learned behavior between both mom and baby. And, you know, you talked about being a third time mom coming into the courses to have a refresher, but also I'm guaranteeing that there's something new that you learned and really oh. what we focus on, because you said, oh, I've had some of these things come up. I had mastitis or plug ducts come up. I've also had thrush. So here's the thing is that, you know, we spend a lot of time laying down the research-based building blocks of a fantastic milk supply because we know some of these other hurdles are going to come your way. We'll talk about my specific hurdles because my experiences were definitely not without challenges. You've had some, but what, what's the key is if we've got a great milk supply, when those other challenges come, it makes weathering the storm so much easier. Mm. Um, rather than if we get to those challenges and we're already also struggling with milk supply, then it's kind of a one-two punch and it makes it a little bit trickier. But if yeah. you know those things to do in the early minutes, hours, and days um, to really lay that building block and that foundation for a milk supply, it's going to be a much easier fix later. So that's, that's something that we really, really focus on, which I'm sure you noticed inside the courses. 
Oh, absolutely. And I will share links because you have some free work, some free webinars yeah. along with your courses. So yeah. I'll make sure all those links are in the show notes for anybody mm-hmm. who's listening right now. Fantastic. Um, yeah. We have our free workshop that thousands of women have gone through. Um, you know, we also have our online courses for those who want to learn beyond, you know, just that free workshop and also get access to everything that I already mentioned and, and the private community, which is kind of worth it in, in and of itself, just to, you know, we got to have our posse. We got to have our other mamas that have our back. Right. Um, and, and having trusted expert guides is just like, okay, I know where to turn to. I can like just cut straight through the noise. I'm not going to be spending my days Googling, you know, we don't have time for that anymore. Right. So, um, yeah, that can just be a rabbit hole that you can't get out. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And then you just get information that doesn't apply to you, you know, and it just can be scary. So, yeah. Yeah. So talk to us a little bit about your postpartum experiences, because I know what I really wanted us to explore today was when things don't go as mm-hmm. you hoped or expected, right? Sure. And like you maybe had sort of rigid expectations or one sort of view of how you wanted things to happen, and mm-hmm. then it doesn't go that way for a variety mm-hmm. of reasons. And I know sure. that you have a story to share around that. So could you um, maybe share sure. a little bit about your postpartum? I would love to. Um, so like I said, I was a young labor and delivery nurse. I worked in labor for a little bit before I had my first baby and my first experience. Um, and that first experience, um, you know, it, it was pretty good because I did have some support, but I found myself kind of falling victim to milk supply myths, just like other moms do. I was questioning, you know, my milk supply, I was trying to heal, um, you know, I think it went, went pretty well cause I had some support, but you know, it was a little bit of a meandering, you know, path of finding my way and whatnot in this new, you know, new normal of motherhood. Um, but I did know that I loved being a mom and, and I remember going back to work in labor and delivery as a nurse, um, 12 weeks postpartum. And I, I look back now and I was so rigid about working up until the very last second that I could because I wanted that full 12 weeks postpartum, right, for my yeah. maternity leave. Looking back now, I feel like I wish I could have loosened the reins there so that I could could have pampered myself and cared for myself a little bit more during those last few weeks or even month, you know, looking, so I'm just telling, I'm just sharing that in case anyone's on the call um, that it could help is because I feel like you really need to care for yourself. And you know, those last uh, weeks, days, months, whatever of pregnancy, whatever your body's telling you um, in preparation, because I, I think I just would have benefited from that. And then if you have to go back to work, you know, even a few weeks easier, it's like, you've, you know, even a few weeks earlier, you've had time, um, to kind of, you know, heal and kind of wrap your head around returning to work. So it's not as big of a deal in my mind, at least. And at least in what I was doing as a nurse, you know, working two or three days a week, um, it's definitely hard work because they're 12 hour shifts and you need the other days to recover, but, um, keep that in mind. So that was kind of my first experience in navigating and that's when I really dug deep and I, I did a ton of research. I started, you know, on my road to get my board certified lactation consultant credential, which is, it's totally a labor of love. You don't get paid more at the hospital for doing it, but you have to have a thousand hours of hands-on helping families. 
And then you have to have 90 hours of lactation specific training. So it's very, it's like the gold standard of breastfeeding support. And it's much different than just, Hey, I'm a postpartum nurse or, Hey, I'm a labor and delivery nurse. And, um, most of those nurses will tell you that like breastfeeding is a whole other thing. And you really want to be guided by someone who has this board certified lactation consultant credential, if at all, if at all possible. Um, so that was my first experience, you know, um, and I feel like I was kind of a guinea pig for what was now, you know, the online courses is because I tried everything, you know, okay, what's being said, what, what can we throw out the window? What do we really need to pay attention to? Because when you have like a pain point in front of you, you really want to have the, the easiest and the fastest solution. Right. Um, yeah. and so that's, that's really what that first experience was like. And then pretty quickly I got pregnant with my second. And it's kind of funny because he was born in December and that next summer I kind of was having the itch to, you know, try to get pregnant again. And it was kind of funny because, you know, we had waited four or five years to have our first. And, um, I just remember having that urgency, which, you know, we'll know why when we talk a little bit, you know, Mm, further, but I had urgency there and I talked to my husband. He's like, okay. And we, we thought, okay, maybe we'll take, it'll take a little while to get pregnant. Um, and we ended up getting pregnant right away. And so our second, our first and our second, were only about 17 months apart. And, um, so that second experience, I had actually a wonderful pregnancy. It was actually easier than my first because I didn't have complications at the end. Um, I didn't have preeclampsia like I had, but what I did have is I had decreased movement at 39 weeks and I woke up that day and I tried to drink, I had to drink some juice and eat some crackers and things like that. And a couple hours passed. And I remember just sitting up and looking at my mom, my husband was out of town on a work trip for another day. I said, I have to go to the hospital right now. I have to hear a heartbeat. You know, it was just like this mama instinct moment that kicked in. And I truly believe I a hundred percent believe in the mantra mama knows best. I a hundred percent believe in maternal instincts. I just think that education support help you tap into those a little bit easier. Um, But there's time and time again that um, my instincts have been a beacon uh, towards healing in many different situations. So, and they put the heart monitor on and I heard a heartbeat. So I felt so, you know, reassured and I felt like, okay, you know, 20 minutes of monitoring, I'll be out of here. And I really didn't even watch the monitor from that point forward. I was just talking with my mom and a couple of my sisters and then some of the nurses came in, you know, nurses that I had, that I work with side by side, said that was the hospital I was working at at the time. And they said, Lindsay, have you looked at the tracing? And her heart rate was just very high and it wasn't showing what we call good variability. So it, you know, it was showing a lack of good nutrient and oxygen exchange. Um, and so they got the doctor in there right away. It was a doctor that I worked with and she came in and said, we tried several different things. Um, to, to intervene and see if we could improve the tracing and nothing worked. And she said, Lynn, I think we need to get her out. Hello, hello. Popping real quick here into the middle of the episode. I promise we'll get back to the conversation real quick. Just want to share a little bit about today's episode sponsor, which is Stork, S-T-O-R-Q. Now, Stork has been sponsoring the last few episodes. They teamed up with me to bring you these postpartum episodes in this series. And if you've listened to the prior episodes, you already know that Stork is a company that makes amazing, comfortable clothing for pregnancy and postpartum. We're talking cotton, cozy, stretchy, and nursing-friendly clothing. But I also wanted to share a little bit about what goes on behind the scenes for Stork. 
So they shared with me that they donate seconds and gently used merchandise directly to the Homeless Prenatal Program based in San Francisco. This is an organization that provides critical resources to families in need. So not only when you buy from Stork are you going to get something that's not going to compromise style while still being really comfortable and supportive to you in that postpartum period, but you're also supporting families in need. You can use the code HOLDINGSPACE to get 10% off your first order at stork.com. That's S-T-O-R-Q. It was good because I knew that was the right choice because I knew how to look at the tracing for myself. You know, um, I think yeah. sometimes not everybody's going to be trained in the tracing, but I think you can be trained in knowing and asking questions. What happens if we don't do this? What are the alternative options? You know, um, asking things like that, because I think when you walk into the hospital, I've heard some people say, oh, I'm just going to, I'll let the nurses and doctors figure it out and I'll just do whatever they say. I don't know if that's the right approach because you can end up with post-traumatic feelings, if you are not in the driver's seat and involved with the decisions with your oh, care. For 100%. 100%. Yeah. This is yeah. like that, like that, what you just said, that's the reason why, um, for like the birth prep and postpartum prep courses that I've mm-hmm. worked on, I teamed up with an OBGYN because I was like, we need, like, we yeah. need to not, we need to pair these two worlds together, mm-hmm. right? Like, yep. Be empowered yeah. to not only know how to process these experiences, but mm-hmm. also to feel empowered in knowing like, what you can be advocating for, right? Yeah, or like yeah. What these different procedures even are. So sure, it's great that yeah. you, for you, you had some of that knowledge, right? Yeah, yeah. And, and but you don't. What I'm saying is, you don't have to feel like you have to be a nurse to do it. There are other ways right. that you can communicate and be a part. And you know, our course has training. It sounds like yours does as well. Anyway, so in that in that moment, um, a couple of things were going through my mind. I was kind of taken aback because I'm the youngest of five and none of my sisters or my mom had needed a C-section. So I was kind of like, Oh my gosh, like can't believe this is happening to me. Number one, number two, my husband was not there and he was not going to make it because he was across the country. And so it was that feeling of, Oh my gosh, you know, my partner's going to not going to be able to share this with me. It's a scary moment, you know, and then also he's going to miss out on her first moments, you know? Um, So a couple of those thoughts, but then my third thought was just fear for her you know, and, and knowing that I had carried her and I was so invested in meeting her and getting her there here safe that I almost like my husband not being there was secondary because I knew he was going to be a rock in her life forever. Um, but we just needed to get here, her here safely. Yeah. So anyway, I ended up having a C-section. Um, and then, you know, so that postpartum recovery was different. And like I mentioned, my husband was gone. He was gone for an internship that was for his like master's program that we knew, we knew going in, you know, when she was uh, due and all that stuff. So five days postpartum, I ended up getting on a plane and taking her across the country to New Jersey so that we could be together as a family for the rest of his internship for six weeks. Um, And so that was tricky because, you know, I was, I had a, my healing incision and I had a, a newborn that I didn't want to get germs, you know, but, but I knew it was important for us to be together and not to be apart yeah. for six weeks and during that time. And so really my mama bear came out, you guys, like I went to the, you know, I went to the airport and I was, you know, I had them put me in a wheelchair so that we could kind of bypass all the crowds and everything, yeah. not necessarily because I needed it, but just, you know, it was almost like a protective layer type thing. Oh, and sure. someone came over and reached out their hand to try to touch her. <laughs> I remember. 
remember grabbing their forearm and throwing it away, like kind of just throwing. <laughs> yeah. Like, no <laughs> boundary <laughs> is being set. Thank you. <laughs> and I, I should have at the time, if I knew you, I would have said, I'm going to get Dr. Cassidy on the phone if you don't back up, you know? Um, <laughs> anyway, oh my gosh, I remember that. And then I remember, you know, my husband was very busy with this internship and it was me with two babies. You know, I had an eight, 17, 18 month old and I had this newborn and I remember going, how am I going to do this? You know, I remember calling my sister and, and saying, how am I going to do this? She's like, you're just going to take it a day at a time. You're going to do one thing a day and then one thing the next day. And she's like, and one day you're going to wake up and you're going to feel like you're in a little bit of a rhythm and a routine with two kids, you know, and mm. it really did go that way. Um, but I remember with him being so busy, which that's always hard, but I remember having this special time with my newborn. Um, and that would come to like be really special for me when I, with what I'm about to tell you. And so we spent time, you know, we were in New Jersey, we went on a couple walks a day and it was just very simple trying to recover and take care of these two babies. My ergo baby carrier saved my life during that time because I would put my newborn in it and then my hands could be free for my 17 month old. And so literally that's like my one thing. Cause I, what we talk about is you don't need a lot. Sometimes we think we're checking these boxes by buying things and mm-hmm. um, getting a nursery set up and just getting all this stuff, which that's fun to do. Don't get me wrong, but baby's not going to care about the decorated nursery when they're in your arms crying. They're going to care. They're going to feel that calmness and that sense of confidence that you have in you just being able to care for them. Right. And so we talk a lot about, you don't need a lot of stuff, but if there is one thing I do love having uh, moms to have a carrier because it just promotes that skin to skin and helps them care for their other babies. So anyway, we went back home when the internship was over I was about eight weeks postpartum and I had just, you know, my birthday, it was around my birthday. So I just turned 27 and I went to the doctor and I had noticed that I had this, I had this little spot and I had actually noticed it when I was 16 weeks with her and showed my OB and he kind of just dismissed it away and said, you know, it's nothing and it's going to go away after delivery and don't worry about it. He really didn't even check on it again um, during the pregnancy. And, and it was, I'll, I'll be honest, I, you know, haven't really said this on any other, but it was, it was in my vulvar area. Okay. And so I, the reason why I'm transparent with that here, because it is obviously kind of private and, and whatnot is because I want it to help everybody. You know, you really want to check that area and make sure that you don't have any discolorations or problems because that can be an issue. You know, I don't want to be an alarmist, but you do want to get those things checked and you know, you, your provider should be checking that throughout your pregnancy because there are changes that occur to making sure that that skin is, you know, the coloration is normal for you. Yeah. And so I noticed that my belly, you know, had gone down and I could see down in that area again. And a lot of my swelling had gone down, but that spot was still there. And so I never, ever thought the C word, but I thought, oh, this might be something that needs to get cut off or like taken out. Right. Yeah. And it wasn't big Cassidy. It was the size of the top of my, um, pinky. It was small, Mm. you know? And so I I said, I'm just going to ask my doctor about that at my checkup. So I went back in and I mentioned it to him. And he's like, well, okay, well, I guess let's look at it again. And I think he immediately knew what it was when he looked at it and he got quiet and he um, said, well, we need to biopsy this and you have a history of skin cancer in your family. And, you know, this was someone I had worked with at the hospital and it was very strange um, to see the demeanor switch pretty quickly. Um, So we ended up biopsying it. I got my results back a week later. And I remember that moment he called me and said, yeah, it's cancer. It's, it's vulvar melanoma. 
And I just remember kind of my world stopping and sitting down on the floor in my home and calling my husband and saying, please meet me at the doctor's office. And so that I got blindsided, honestly, I just never saw that coming for me in my life. I had been a former college athlete. I had these two babies. I had a wonderful husband and this was kind of supposed to be like this magical, happy time for us. And, um, it was so hard and it was really hard, um, having to be away from my newborn for tests and treatments and then surgeries. Right. And it created a little bit of a bitter feeling because I was supposed to be in newborn heaven and I was fighting for my life with this Mm -hmm. unexpected, um, rare, uh, thing that typically affects postmenopausal women is the other thing. Um, Mm. And so, um, you know, it's actually a part of my story of why I started Lactation Link is because I felt like, okay, I was grateful for the support, but I hated that other people were caring for my newborn, you know, during that time. And so in my mind, I said, I'm the only one that can provide milk to her. And so it kind of drove me and was one of my purposes and helped me still feel important as her mom. And that wouldn't be the right choice for everyone, but it was the right choice for me. And it was important to me. And because of everything I had gone through to lay lay down the education and support with my first and created that shift, you know, to the confidence and calm, um, I, I was able to not spend a lot of time worrying about breastfeeding because I knew absolutes. I knew that after surgery, as soon as I was awake and alert enough, I could either feed her or pump that milk and wouldn't need to pump and dump. I knew that if I uh, pumped a little bit less during one time or the other, that it, it wasn't a problem. I didn't need to spend time worrying about it. It wasn't a big deal. You know, I knew what to look for as far as her developmental leaps so that I wasn't questioning my supply. I was just recognizing when she needed more. Um, and so really breastfeeding really got me through a really, really hard time. And, and when we were away, I could pump her milk. And then when we were united, we were back close together. Um, and so really it was at that time where I had an aha moment saying, okay, hopefully not other women are going to experience my same challenge. I really right. hope so. Right. Um, but I know that all women are going to have their unique challenges and I want this experience to be on their own terms and I want them to have the tools to, um, you know, kind of have their carve out their own journey. Right. Mm. And, and feel supported. So anyway, I went through and I had, you know, two surgeries. I had three months of occupational therapy. My doctors didn't want me to go back to floor nursing right away because I had had lymph nodes removed in my uh, leg that can lend to a lot of swelling if it's not, you know, compressed. And if it's not like kind of massaged and you kind of have, I had to teach my body how to redirect that fluid. And so, um, this was a struggle for me because part of my identity is, you know, working and giving, you know, serving and giving that those gifts that I have. And so I felt like I was floundering a little bit and and looking back, I wish I would have given myself a break to pause and to take rest and to heal. Um, But for me, it was important that I got back into serving in some capacity. And so I went and I, um, you know, I, I was, I had my credential at that point. So I went back to interview to be a lactation consultant at the hospital and I almost dove into that. But then I said, wait a second, that's still not what I want to do. I want to be able to empower women before they get to the hospital. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of when lactation link was born. Um, 
or the con the concept was born. Yeah. Yeah. Of such pain and like, you know, obviously something that you would have never expected. Mm -hmm. And I can only imagine just the physical, emotional and relational, like you named, like really wanting to still feel that sense of like, I'm her mom and she needs Mm -hmm. me. All of these Mm -hmm. pieces that were there from all of that. And obviously it wasn't immediate, right? Like you needed to heal, like you needed Mm -hmm. to, to, Mm -hmm. to go through it first. But on the other end, it sounds like this is really what ended up being the birthplace, this experience yeah. and an inspiration for mm-hmm. what what you are now probably, you know, so well known for in, in mm-hmm. building this and building lactation link. That's sure. That's yeah. Like our, it's crazy. And um, our stories kind of have a way of like, you know, our lives lead us, you know, in directions that we never saw coming. And one thing that just came to mind that I want to mention um, that goes back to the maternal instinct, I feel like is that, initially when I was diagnosed, obviously I was worried for my own, um, wellness and I was worried for about my own health, but almost immediately after that, my mind went to what about my future family, which is so crazy to me. Um, it it literally was like, well, how is this going to affect my future family and how is it going to shape? And it, it, it scared me, you know? And I think that goes to, like the preservation of humanity of women, you know, knowing and driving, you know, bringing, you know, their babies to the, to the world. And, and that has to be a really strong instinct for, think about the women that go through infertility. Think about the women that go through, through infant loss. If it wasn't such a strong emotion and a pull, we wouldn't fight so hard for it, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah. So, so that was kind of, you know, when that first, you know, concept in my mind of being able to create a resource uh, popped up. Right. And so then, um, you know, some time passed as I was healing, I took time away from being a staff nurse and things like that. And I had, I had about a year of being disease free. And then I went back to the doctor for just a routine checkup. I think it's important to note that I never had symptoms from the disease other than just having that little initial discoloration on my skin. I have never had symptoms from the disease. I've only had symptoms from the treatment. Mm. So when I went back a year later for a routine uh, follow-up, I had had many in between, obviously, but I was just super happy. We had just got back from a vacation. I was showing my doctor pictures from the vacation and she ended up doing her exam and there was nothing on the surface, but she felt something underneath that she wanted to biopsy. And she thought it was most likely just scar tissue, but she was being cautious. And she literally saved my life because there was a recurrence of disease in that same area. So I had to, you know, once again, being each time this has happened, kind of knocked down to ground zero there. Um, I needed another surgery And I remember recovering from the surgery. Um, I think I misspoke earlier saying I had my credential already. I was still on the road to my credentials. So I remember having pictures of me studying for the IBCLC exam after the surgery. And I was very sleepy. And so I was falling asleep in between the studying, you know, (laughs) (laughs) and, um, I took my test about two, three weeks after that surgery. Um, And then there was a discussion of me having some chemotherapy to prevent further recurrence. And so at that point, you know, we had all the discussions of the side effects of, you know, what chemo would bring. And, you know, one thing was it can affect your fertility. And so, you know, at that point that made me concerned. I didn't know if we were going to ever have kids again. I didn't know if that was going to be in the cards, but what I did know is I wasn't ready to make that decision in a short period of time. You know, and, and so I, I went through the process of getting information for fertility preservation before I started chemotherapy. 
And I had the privilege of being connected with a fantastic doctor who um, really showed a lot of care and a lot of urgency. She helped us get the medications paid for by Livestrong really in 24 hours. Um, and I went through kind of that IVF process without the mm-hmm. retrieval, without yeah. the retrieval so that we could, um, preserve my fertility, um, so yeah. that we could make that, those choices later. And, um, I don't know, like that was just important to me. And even though I was like, I don't even know if that's going to be necessary for us. It gave me tremendous peace of mind moving mm-hmm. forward. And that, that is worth it to me, um, to be able to, just move forward. And, and that knowing that that door wasn't going to be closed for me oh, was, I can imagine that was incredibly empowering because mm-hmm, so much mm-hmm. in all of this is are things that you can't control, right. That yeah. are just happening to you. Sure. And in, in, in an experience like that, it is so, so healing, so powerful to find the things that you can actually have agency around. And yeah. even though you didn't know if that was something that you would want to Sure. utilize in the future like being able to do that I imagine was very empowering for you in, in, yeah. in a moment where there were a lot of things that could have been disempowering right mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. for sure yeah so I was grateful for access to that and um I had my surgery and then I went for about nine months being disease free. And, um, I went back for, uh, CT scans and MRIs about nine months later and those came back normal. And then I, um, the very next day I had got up and I was getting ready for one of my first classes in my living room. Um, cause I, at this point I had taken my test and I, I had my credential and everything. And, um, I got out of the shower and I noticed like a little, it's almost like somebody's finger was poking through my skin kind of in, in my hip area. And, um, this is one of those moments of once again, an instincts guiding me to just, just really be aware of things. And, um, I instantly thought that's a problem, you know, and I remember calling my neighbor to come over to the house and she was such a sweetheart and I love her. And she ran over and I said, please take care of my kids because I think I need to go to the hospital. And I'm, I'm in a kind of a panic mode right now. And I I knew I couldn't like calmly take them to like someone to watch them. I knew I was like fretting and I, and so I wanted them to be safe. And so um, she came and then I had time to get my family there. And I, we literally just started driving to the hospital. We didn't even call and ask, (laughs) you know, we just said, Hey, we're on our way. You know, we need to be checked out. And I did have to wait into the, in the waiting room for about three hours. And, um, they came in and they said, you know what, we're not really worried about this. You know, we think that this is probably due just to your cycle. Like maybe your lymph node is just a little bit inflamed because of a cycle. We have all these fluctuations come back in the morning and we'll do a biopsy when the, you know, um, when they're here to do that. And, but we're not that worried, you know? And so that gave me the, cause my husband was on a trip again <laughs> oh my and goodness. that actually gave me <laughs> the peace of mind to go home and get sleep and be okay because I wasn't highly concerned. So we went back to the hospital that morning. They did a biopsy and right there at the bedside, they'll have like a little microscope. And um, literally within 60 seconds, she said, I am very concerned it's melanoma. And it was literally just like, holy cow. It was like, is this going to be my life now? You know? And I remember slapping the table 
And I remember hitting my legs on the table. And I know that that wasn't great behavior, but I was very upset. And I was very, um, like, it was out of my control, you know, regardless of how healthy you're eating or how, how um, you're working out or wh- whatever you're doing, it was completely out of my control, you know? And so it was so just... I, I can't even describe it, you know? And, um, so I called my husband, I told him to get on the next flight home. We talked with the doctors about the options. And one of the options was to do surgery again, but we had done that twice and guess what? It had come back. And so they said, well, you could consider a clinical trial. And so we looked at all the clinical trials that I was, um, a candidate for, and we went ahead and decided to do a clinical trial. It was a huge leap of faith because, um, when you have disease, you just want to rip it out. Right. And they said, Hey, if we do the clinical trial, it is going to get bigger before it gets smaller. Oh, right. (laughs) And so, um, you know, we did this clinical trial and it had the, I, it was the least side effects I had experienced. And within, you know, four months it was complete, you know, the lymph node was completely shrunk back down to normal size and the disease was gone. And so it was really, you know, that was a huge blessing. And then from then on out, I was four and a half years disease free. I, you know, I spent the next four years doing scans and checkups and never having an issue. And so we felt like, oh my gosh, we, we made it, you know? Mm-hmm. And um, all the while, you know, I knew in my heart and, and in my body that there was one more baby for our family. And I tried so hard to turn my back on that. And I tried so hard to shut the door on that. And it literally haunted me. Mm-hmm. Um, there, there were nights that I spent up crying and howling, feeling the pain, um, feeling the pain of, just not knowing how to get that baby here. Yeah. Um, and you know, worrying about, well, if we went down that road, you know, would that jeopardize things for my health? Mm. And I don't want to jeopardize my kids that I have, you know, not having a mom. And, but like also knowing deep in my soul that there, there was another baby that had a story and a journey. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. sorry. That's like kind of just bringing everything back up. <laughs> yeah, of course. Um, so me and my husband, we really navigated and we really talked to all our doctors and we navigated several different options of going down. We were very close on using a different option to add to our family. And it, when it got down to it, um, I just, we just didn't feel hundred percent right about it. And so at this point I was almost four years disease free. We went back to our doctors, talked again, and they said, you know, typically we would tell people to wait two years of being disease free, you're almost four. And of course we don't have a crystal ball, but you know, we think this is reasonable and that, you know, it's going to be up to you, but we don't think that it would increase your risk of, of recurrence of disease by any means. And so we actually made that step to move forward and I got pregnant. Um, and it was like this amazing pregnancy. It was so healing for me. Um, as soon as I was pregnant with him, I knew our family was complete and I was like, did not have that, that burning, you know, desire. And, and I just knew like, oh my gosh, we're going to get him here. And it's like going to be great. And I can't explain how healing that pregnancy was for me, um, after experiencing so much trauma. And I, I typically was like, I can't believe, like, I I would be like, I can't believe I'm, I'm going to be able to have another baby. And I can't believe we're going to be able to have this joy in our home. Um, You know what I imagine, Lindsay, is that with, with the cancer and the reoccurrence of cancer, I'm, and tell me if I'm wrong here. Um, 
but I can imagine, I can imagine for myself in a situation like that, feeling like my, what, like my body keeps letting me down, right? Mm -hmm, Um, mm -hmm. Why does my body keep letting me down? And then to then become pregnant with this third child, um, this third child that you longed for, that you knew that there was this little spirit or something Mm -hmm. that was there. Mm -hmm. Um, And then for your, and then to be able to carry that child, Mm-hmm. Um, and to have your body carry that child, right? Like, yeah. just sort of have that reminder of the of how incredible your body is, how beautiful yep. your body is. That your body mm-hmm. was a home to this child and and was able to grow this child. I think that I could imagine in your own relationship to your body, I could see mm-hmm. how that pregnancy could have been so healing. Sure, sure. Um, and so it and it and it really went off without a hitch. I know I have this history of of cancer and whatnot. Um, I was competently and critically cared for by my certified nurse midwives. A lot of times people will think, well, midwives, you know, you can only go if you have no complications and you know anything that's uh, you know complex or blah 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 needs to be seen by an MD or you know, for me, I want you to understand that uh, certified nurse midwives are a fantastic option. A lot of times they can take more time with you. Um, And it's just, it was the right choice for me. It might not be the right choice for you, but anybody that's listening that doesn't know what a certified nurse midwife is, I would Google it and I would check out, you know, I'd ask on your mom forms, has anyone used one? What's your experience been like? Um, Because it was a complete 360 from my first two and how my prenatal care was. Um, I felt like, you know, I just felt like it was a different experience and I was able to spend more time and, um, it just was better suited for me, you know? And so, um, really during that pregnancy, just the question became, you know, um, am I going to have a repeat C-section or am I going to try for a vaginal birth? And just because of the surgeries that I'd had in that area, there became concern about that skin being able to stretch and perform, um, during delivery. And so, you know, we felt like that was an issue. The second issue was, is that I had had, um, some blood clots as a side effect from chemotherapy. So I had a history of that and I was, so I was taking, you know, um, some Lovenox and blood thinners. And so, you know, there was concern there about, you know, the timing of, cause you want to be off the blood thinners, but you know, for a certain amount of time before you deliver. And so there was concern about, um, needing to control that a little bit. And yeah. so that was hard to make that choice because I would have loved to have, you know, another vaginal birth. And I was, I would have otherwise been a good candidate for a VBAC. Um, but you know, it was nice to be able to make that choice and then move forward, you know, in being able to advocate for a fantastic birth experience, regardless, you know, if it was a surgical birth. And I did that. And I talked with my midwife extensively about it. And I, I actually called the, the labor and delivery before and had them make some notes in my chart and, and whatnot. And the, the crazy part is when I went to deliver uh, one of my college, my nursing uh, college you know, uh, cohorts and fellow students was my nurse. And it was like this huge, like blessing Mm. to have a familiar face there. And then we got back into the OR and I was able to do, you know, skin to skin in the OR, which I wanted so much. And I have a video on my IGTV about my gentle C-section. We actually did a clear drape and, and everything. And, um, I, I love that you know, you're he, sharing, I love that you're sharing that, that it's possible to have a yeah. gentle section and yeah. birth because oh, you can hear my dog barking. I'm just going to keep okay. going because this is life. Okay. <laughs> I'm in my closet yeah. right now. My dog is outside. Yeah. You know, my, my baby is hopefully, you know, doing all right. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, yeah. yeah, I think that it's so important for, 
for families to hear and for moms to hear about these stories of cesareans and belly births being beautiful, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And being gentle mm-hmm. and ha- that you having the opportunity to do skin to skin and having it actually be um, a beautiful experience, right? Mm-hmm. Of that first yeah. meeting your child in an yeah. operating room, that, that, it, yeah. that, that is absolutely possible. Yeah. Yeah. And I remembered with, with Jocelyn, my second, it was more rushed and hurried and I didn't get a chance to have the clear drape. And so she went right to the warmer and I was just like going, Oh, like, I just felt like crap. Like I wanted to, <laughs> I wanted to meet her first. Right. Yeah. And so some people are scared of a clear drape because they'll think, Oh, I don't want to see the surgery. You can't see the surgery because your belly is so high. Right. Um, yep. and so I didn't see any of the the surgery. Um, but I was able to be the first one to see my little boy get held up me and my, me and my husband. Yeah. And oh. that's like, that's a snapshot in my mind. That's awesome. Right. And so, yeah. um, he went to the warmer briefly and I probably asked, you know, he's probably over there for about three, four minutes. And I probably asked for him six times. It's like a joke. Like we're <laughs> I was like, okay, is he ready? Okay, is he ready? Okay, like, <laughs> yeah. So they quickly brought him over. My husband brought him over and um, unwrapped him and got him positioned on my chest. And he, you know, his newborn reflexes came out. And I do remember saying to my midwife, I said, Jen, I'm holding him. And she said, good job. And then she said, is it everything you hoped it would be? Because she knew how important it was to me. And I said, I said, it sure is, you oh. know. Um, and so he actually was able to latch in, in the OR there. And, you know, oh. I really had um, a really magical, wonderful experience postpartum with him with that first two weeks. You know, I, I know that um, I didn't get a lot of sleep, but I, it was like I was in this mode where I didn't care about sleep yeah. because I was so like hungry to have him here that I was like soaking in every moment. And I know that's not going to be everyone's experience. And I know it's important to have, like you call, you know, periods of restorative rest and things like that. And I was doing that as much as I could. I'm, I guess I'm just saying I had no aggravation about yeah. doing, you know, middle Absolutely. of the night feeds because yeah. I was just so, so pleased that, that he had gotten there and he'd gotten there safe. Yeah. I've, um, actually, ha- I've actually felt that as well with my third, um, like, you know, those first few weeks, like I was super sleep deprived, but I was... Yeah. Sim- and, and similar and different for different reasons, but I was sure. hungry for her to be yeah. in our family as yeah. well. And I was also just so much more prepared um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and so much less overwhelmed, even though there was a lot going on. But yeah, it's yeah. I think and that I, the restorative rest, that the need for it can vary based on sure. oh, yes. the baby and the situation. It's not to diminish someone else who is experiencing right. feelings right. of overwhelm or exhaustion or needs to take a break because that's that's a sign that you need to do that. So well, we all I have different journeys. With my first and second, like yeah. I yeah. needed help. I needed somebody yeah. to like come into our home and help me get sleep. Like I needed that really bad sure. for those others. Yeah. So that first two weeks is really amazing. It was really so fun to see my older kids interacting with him and, and just really to get to have this experience I'd been longing for. And then two weeks postpartum, uh, it was actually the day after Christmas. I just went for a routine MRI and CT, um, because I hadn't been scanned during the pregnancy. Um, but I, we were not concerned. We didn't even tell our, we didn't even tell our family I was getting a scan because in the past we had, so they could keep us on their mind and heart, but we just literally didn't feel like there was going to be an issue at all. Um, cause I was almost five years disease free at this point. And so I walked in, I have pictures of, of me smiling, drinking the contrast drink and different things. And, um, I remember my husband picked me up. We went and got a quick, quick lunch. And then he actually dropped me off at my mom's with the baby because he was running over. We were, uh, building a house and he was just going over to check on a few things. 
And I remember I got on the computer to look at my results because really I was just like, oh, I just want to see that it's normal and then I'll move on with my day. And I remember opening and I opened the CTs and they were normal. And then I opened the uh, brain MRI and it, there was there was text there uh, written. Um, and normally it would just say, you know, um, no, you know, normal and nothing, nothing to report basically. And it said, you know, something like an expanding new lesion. Um, and it went on with medical jargon. And literally I felt like a shortness of breath immediately. And I left the living room where I was with my mom and I went back into the back bedroom because I didn't want to alarm her, even though obviously she was going to find out. Um, and my dad came in there and I, I explained what was going on to him. And that, that, so I guess that's kind of the start of the sequence of events of having a recurrence of cancer at four and a half years out and kind of feeling like a nightmare was, was happening. And, um, I remember for the next couple nights, I woke up thinking, oh, that was a dream and I'm okay. You know, and then realizing it was reality and literally breaking down and panicking, um, and so it was, it was a really rough two weeks after that. Um, and I just want to be completely real. Like the, every morning I woke up, I cried for like two hours. Um, and I really, like, I really had a lot of, I think, I, so for me, um, you know, I, I have a faith and I feel like Satan was really trying to work on me, was really trying to get me to go to the dark places and all the what ifs. And to tell me that I would be separated from my family and that, you know, someone would take my place and that, you know, it was, it was a dark hole, you know? Um, and I had a lot of support. I'm lucky. A lot of people go through things like this and they don't have anyone. So I'm very lucky that I have the support that I have and I have access to healthcare. Um, and so anyway, so then, you know, I immediately started meeting with doctors and going over the treatment plans and they decided that it would be best to radiate this lesion. I'm lucky enough that it was in a place of my brain that, um, you know, if it was treated, it was not going to harm me or change, you know, my personality or my functioning or anything like that. Yeah. So that was a silver lining. Um, but they did say it is very, very small. It was basically on the very precipice of detection. Um, so one comment they made is that if they had scanned me and the original time that, that, was supposed to be, which about three, three or four months earlier than that, they probably would not have detected it. And wow. the MRI is only something that's done every year. Wow. And so that was like this weird little reassurance that my yeah. baby Blake was part of the story. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and so anyway, so I went ahead and I did that radiation and it was, it's a very tricky thing. Um, they kind of fit you for a face mask and they put you kind of in this little, um, I guess, little space and you're just in a very tight scenario and you get treated for about 15 minutes and it kills, it kills the cancer cells there. So that was that. But then they had concern because my initial, you know, uh, my initial cancer was in my lower half and then it had traveled somehow, you know, up to my brain. So they were concerned about cells in between that we can't see on a scan because you can only see it when it's a certain size. And so um, the doctor started talking about me doing, you know, preventative treatments, which were infusions over the next year called immunotherapy. So instead of knocking down your immunity, like chemo, it boosts your immunity up. And so we made the decision to do that. um, And it gave me tremendous side effects. Um, It gave me just like um, shakes and fever and chills and vomiting and 20 times a day of diarrhea. I know it's TMI, but um, it was just really rough. And I was in the hospital um, after each of the treatments for the first three months of the year with a newborn. 
Like, you know, and so oh <laughs> it was kind of like, I know, I know people are like, oh my gosh, you had kind of two of these, you know, after both, you know, your second and your third baby. And it, it's true, you know, and, um, mentally it was hard. Physically it was hard. I spent several afternoons in my closet, you know, and I would, you know, have periods where things were going well and I was doing well. And then something would, would trigger me and, and I would be in the closet for a little bit. And, um, really just digging deep and really just trying to find that hope and that purpose. And, and I really found it in my kids and in my family, you know, and, um, and yeah, so that, <laughs> that's wow. how my third, you know, postpartum experience has gone. I'm now nine months postpartum and really physically have been feeling better the last two months. They did adjust the medications. And so I've been able to function. I've been able to exercise. I actually got out and learned how to wake surf in the last month, which has been so much fun. Um, yeah. well, and, and with everything that you just said, like, and, and yeah. now you're sharing how you've been feeling better and just, and also. Yeah. Also, also, Lindsay, just, I mean, you're still very much in it. Um, yeah, and yeah. You're sharing this story and these stories of your experiences. And I'm, it's just so um, remarkable how I'm hearing as you're sharing the story, the way that you're weaving in how you've already been making meaning of so many of your experiences, right? Whether um, that meaning has come from your faith or where that, and that meaning has also come from um, your relationship with your children and like the mm-hmm. timing of things and how things happened and why things happened, right? To the answer mm-hmm. to that question we always ask when, when, when bad things happen, right? Is why. Mm-hmm. And I'm just, I'm mm-hmm. hearing how you've been able to weave in meaning, like you're making meaning of your experience, but I'm also hearing that you're finding joy even in the midst of so much pain and um, grief and sadness, right? Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. Um, not having things work out the way you anticipated and sort of yeah. the loss of your expectations. So talk to us about that. I mean, sure, you're, sure. you're in it right now still. How, yeah. how, has, how have you been able to make meaning and also how has joy and pain sort of danced together mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm, in all mm-hmm. of this? Yeah, I think that, um, you know, the hardest times and the lowest times during it was me thinking, okay, well, since this has happened, I can't have joy moving forward. Like, and it felt like all or nothing, you know, and it's like, well, you can pretend for a couple hours or a couple days, but it comes back to, you know, you're in this this really hard situation and, and there's nothing you can do to, to change it going forward. As far as it's a black mark on your kind of life, it's like this black cloud that's following you, you know? Um, and my husband has helped me tremendously in that my, my sisters and my parents have helped me tremendously. And it comes down to sometimes it's like, okay, well, you know, maybe this is going to happen, but really that's just fear of the unknown and fear of things that, that, may never happen and haven't happened yet for sure, you know? And so I think it comes down to, um, and it's several, several iterations of getting there, right. Of having conversations with different people that I love of praying and, you know, feeling certain way and, and letting go of some control, which is hard to do for certain personalities, AKA me. Um, you know, but then it was so funny that I, that, that I'm going to mention this, but I was watching the show. This is us. Okay. And the OBGYN, the, the older guy, 
you know, the, what are their names? Yes. Jack and Jack and what is, what is her name in the show? Um, I can't even remember. Randall um, and yeah. Well, no, I'm talking about the parents. So oh, Jack parents. and I can't remember the mom. Okay. Rebecca, Rebecca, they go back to the OBGYN yes. and they're looking for closure because they didn't really grieve that they lost that third triplet. Yeah. Um, and he said something there and I tried to find the clip this morning to reference it, but he said something about allowing joy and grief to both have places in our life. It's mm -hmm. not one or the other. Yeah. And just because you're experiencing grief doesn't mean that you can't have joy in your life. Mm. And it was kind of like, like, it's so cheesy to mention a TV, like no, but <laughs> reference, a, but it, I, I remember I watched that show. I remember, I remember that scene and I remember, yeah. I remember it, it really touched me yeah. personal reason. So the fact that yeah. you personalized it, I think that that's a sign of a great TV show, right? <laughs> <laughs> and so it was kind of like all those conversations I'd had with my loved ones, all the praying I had been doing, um, you know, those moments in my closet with my husband at the very lowest kind of that came to life right there. And it was a light bulb moment going, Oh, Oh yeah. Okay. Just because I have these low points and I'm crying and I'm questioning and I'm struggling doesn't mean or doesn't lessen the joy I feel when I get my baby up in the morning mm. or the joy I feel um, with my older two kids helping me to take care of him or having dinner around the table. Um, that like it doesn't mean that I can't do both. And over time, hopefully the tides are going to turn so there's more joy and less grief. Yeah. But I can't be disappointed in myself if I still have those moments of grief and I need allowed to hold space, which is why we're on the holding space podcast, right? Um, <laughs> for those moments of grief. And that is okay. You know? Yeah. Um, yeah. And so yeah, that's a, I, that's a big I, one, you know, right there. Yeah. When I had, um, when I had a miscarriage in between, um, in between my, my daughter and my son, and it was, there was so much pain around that loss, um, but there was also a way that that, that loss, it, it took time, right, to heal and to, to make mm -hmm. meaning of that experience. It, doesn't, it by no means happened <laughs> right away. Mm -hmm. um, but with time, there, there was, with that meaning, from that experience, from that loss, it also really, it really allowed me to focus in on what mattered most. I think at that time in my life, I was really stressed and overwhelmed with work and my priorities were all out of whack and mm -hmm. it really slowed things down for me and allowed me to see what actually really, really mattered to me and what values yeah. I really wanted to be prioritizing at that time. And so, and um, you know, it's, it has this way of doing that and it, it's not going to happen right away, right? Like mm -hmm. we oftentimes mm -hmm. need space to make meaning, to, to feel that, that pain, right? Mm -hmm. Um that joy isn't always going to come dance with that pain right away, but they can both exist with each other. And sure. I love that you're naming that here, even while you're in it and in that. Experience. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think the, the other thing is, is that, you know, allowing yourself the time to muster the strength to move forward, to muster that courage to move forward. And it's going to be different for everybody because you had to muster the courage 
you know, to consider another pregnancy because that you didn't know the outcome, right? I have to muster the courage to move forward every day because I don't know the outcome and I want to make the most of everything I have in my life with building a legacy, with, um, you know, helping shape my kids, with having a really meaningful relationship with my husband. The truth is, is that no one, none of us know the end to our story, you know? Um, and so we really just have to live every day in that way. And, um, the one thing I would mention, a lot of times people will say, um, well, what is helpful? How can I help someone I love if they're going through something that's really, really hard? You know, like you mentioned, a, a miscarriage or for me, like a really difficult health diagnosis or, you know, cancer or something like that. Um, I think it's important that, you know, you're not going to know everything right to say the person doesn't know what they need, honestly, but don't rush the time it takes for them to to pick themselves up, dust themselves off and to muster the courage to move forward. But don't abandon them either. Sit there with them, put your arm around them, cry with them, have your ears open so that they can say things and don't, don't be taken aback with whatever they say, you know, and, and just say, this sucks and I'm here for you and I love you. Um, don't try to fix it. Don't try to come up with a solution. Um, just be present and show love and, you know, give them that time to heal. You know, that for me specifically is what I think has been the most helpful um, in those that have been surrounded with me. So. And, and Lindsay, when it comes to like what has helped you and supported you through all of this, like, do you have some, sure. some ideas for, for moms who might be listening? Yeah, I do. Um, the very first thing that I would say is therapy. And I was, when I was diagnosed, uh, I guess now that's like over seven years ago, my brother-in-law, who's a internal medicine doctor, he suggested that I get into therapy and, um, I did, and I've gone to my same therapist consistently, um, either, you know, once a month, twice a month, sometimes maybe I've gone a couple months when I didn't feel like I really, really needed it. Um, but even when you need it, you know, it's preventative, right? Um, even when you feel like you don't need it, it's a part of your preventative wellness. That is played a huge part in my mental healing and management. Mm-hmm. Um, and even though you have a partner, they are drowning too. So I felt I got to a point where it was like, I want to share things with him and I want him to be there, but I want to not just unload everything on his plate because then that makes everything heavy for him. And so I want to reserve that for when I really need it. And I want to use my therapy time to regularly, you know, kind of unload and digest and manage through. And it's been so healthy for me to do that. So it's not fluff. It shouldn't have a stigma. It's something that is definitely part of a wellness picture, whether you're going through a catastrophe or life feels pretty good right now. Um, That's my number one thing I would say. Um, Number two for me personally is journaling. And I use something called, I think it's called day one journal. It's just on my phone and it's easy for me to just like open it up and start going right with my thoughts. And I'm actually looking at it right now and I can kind of look back, you know, this year and like, I can see like the titles of some of the entries and it's so interesting. It's like a perfect representation of weaving grief and joy because like one of the titles is not always perfectly strong. And the, the first sentence is I had a tough day mentally. My mind was wandering to the dreaded what if and why by bedtime, tears started flowing, you know, and I was able, it just allows you to get some of those feelings out. Yeah. Um, and feel like it has a permanent place so that you can let go of it, you know, and you don't have to hold it on. You know, then I have, I have another journal entry that says, um, 
my sweet Blake boy. And it says, mm-hmm. I can't believe my heavenly father loves me enough to send me the gift of this sweet baby boy. For many years, I thought my chances of holding another baby were slim to none. And I'm so grateful you're here and in my arms. Mm-hmm. And then I go on to talk about something fun we did together that day and, and sharing pictures and stuff. So um, journaling has been huge for me and I haven't been perfect about it. I mean, there's times where weeks have gone by in between these entries, but, um, these are treasures for me. And I also feel peace that I'm leaving a legacy. Um, you know, like whatever my journey becomes, I feel peace because like my personality, my thoughts, my experiences are, are being laid down, you know, forever for, yeah. Yeah. So beautiful. And I think that what I, and there's so many things that I love about that one that it's been helpful to you, right? Because I mean, that's the most sure. important thing. And sure. You have to find what feels right and helpful and healing to us. Um, but I love that you're able to go back and you're able to sort of see that. Cause, and sometimes, sometimes in those moments of pain, right, we kind of mm-hmm. spiral. It can feel like we're spiraling and it feels like it's always bad and it's always been bad and always will be bad. But you mm-hmm. have this, like evidence and data written yes. in your own words to indicate that there are ebbs and there are flows with this pain and that mm-hmm. you can even find the light and the joy even in the midst of all of it. Sure. Um, sure. And, and yeah, it's a recording of these experiences for yourself, right? That you can go back yeah. to and um I I that's that's beautiful. And I'm so glad that you mentioned therapy, right? Because mm-hmm. yes, like we we need that outside support sometimes. And I love that you also named that your partner is going through this as well. And like mm-hmm. he needs his own support as he's kind of navigating yes. this as well. And so thank you for naming all those things. Yeah, and, and the last thing I would mention there is self-care, you know. Um and yeah. I think a lot of times we get wrapped up into what we're supposed to be doing or what other people expect us to be doing or how we're going to appear on the outside. And there's so many times I've sat down with a pen and a paper and said what I wrote at the top, what makes me happy? And I will write down. And then I will also write down what doesn't make me happy. And I'm not perfect at it. And it's, I'm a work in progress, but I have circled things that made me happy. And I make an intention to put those on my calendar and start doing that, whatever frequency I can start with. Um, and I also have tried, and I think I may have learned this from you is communicating that to my partner Mm. so that he can support me in those things coming to fruition, whether that's me going to an exercise class, whether that's me having a few quiet minutes at night to be able to journal or read or things like that. Um, whether that's him taking care of dinner one night a week so that, you know, it can be off my plate or, you know, whatever your specific roles are. Um, I think that that has been huge in just basically the journey to happiness, right? And the the journey to day to day, like sometimes we get caught up in what, what do we have to do? Or what do people expect of us? And it's like, no, no, no. How how can we serve, but how can we do so sustainably so that we don't get burned out and that we have joy in every day, you know, that we're not always like, Oh, when can I get out of here and get on a vacation? I got to just escape from life. You know, I get that. Like I like vacation too, but I want to build a life that I look forward to it every day, like the day to day, you know? So Oh, Lindsay. that's another big one. Thank girl, you so much. Girl, girl. <laughs> today. Oh, wow. Oh my gosh. Right. Wow. Thank so. you. Thank you so much for, for trusting me and trusting the space to, to, to share your story in this way, yeah. Lindsay. Um, yeah even while you are still so much in it, um, mm-hmm. very grateful mm-hmm. to you. Yeah. And, and, and to, it feels so really good to like know that you also or, you are. Know, like, they care so much about you. No, I'm just kidding. Um, what I'm saying. Oh, can you hear me? Okay. 
Yeah, I can. Yeah. Okay. Um, just to kind of like sum up kind of where I'm at is right now we're just doing close watch, you know, they did take care of the lesion and all these other treatments have been preventative this year. Um, but obviously it is a very serious thing and, you know, we'll watch closely and, um, hoping that we can continue to, you know, inch towards one year disease free, which will be in January. And then we inch towards two years and, you know, hoping that we can get towards that five-year mark, you know, that's the hope. And, um, that's kind of where I'm at with my, my cancer journey. Yeah. Thank you for giving yeah. us that update. And um, I am just so grateful to know you and have you as a friend and to have you as a colleague and so grateful for your willingness to to share these parts of yourself with me. Thank you. And with Thank us. you for having me. And I think I've told you before, San Diego is my favorite place in the world. And so the next time I get to travel out there, we're going to have to meet face to face and that would be great. Oh my gosh. I can't wait to like hug people again and <laughs> people again. I can't yeah. wait for that day, Lindsay. So yeah. Lindsay, if somebody's listening right now and they want to continue to follow you and find your offerings, um, where can people find you? Yeah. So they can definitely join and come over and see us on Instagram at lactation link. Um, I share more about my personal journey on my personal page, which is Lindsay underscore Shipley. So you can come and hang out in both spots. If you'd like, um, if you want to jump into online courses, we have those available on lactationlink.com. And then we are going to put, you know, some links to some free workshops that we've done so you can have those resources as well. So I would love to continue the conversation and, and be best friends, you know, over on those other platforms for sure breast friends. <laughs> Thank you so much for taking the time. I'm Thank so you. grateful. And if anyone's listening and you're looking to continue to stay connected to Lindsay and to find all of her incredible offerings and resources, just head to the show notes and you'll find all the links there. Thanks Thank for you. having me, Cassidy. You've been listening to Holding Space Podcast. I hope you enjoyed that episode. If you did, you might want to hit that subscribe button to be the first to hear when new episodes air. Looking for more support? I teamed up with a board-certified OBJN to bring you two e-courses for expecting and postpartum parents. Head over to the show notes to learn more. Thank you so much for inviting me into part of your day today. I'm so grateful, and I hope you have a beautiful, wonderful rest of your day.